Alright, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina wa Mawlana Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa ba'd. Alhamdulillah, we are in lesson two of module six on the fiqh of zakat. And I just want you to look at the cover picture for the slides here and just admire how nice this looks. Because we have pictures of cows and cash and gold and silver and lots of grain. Uh, the reason why these pictures are here for, are for obvious reasons is because they are zakatable items. And that's what we're going to talk about today, inshallah. Except we're not going to talk anything about the upper left picture or the bottom right picture. Because unless you're a farmer, any farmers here? No? Unless you're a farmer, then the zakat on livestock, livestock crops and so on is not really relevant to you. So we're not going to go into all of those things. So we're looking at the top right and the bottom left. Money. So, alhamdulillah, last week we began this module. And like the other module on salat, we introduced the topic of zakat by defining it and talking about its virtues in wisdom. Why has Allah Ta'ala made zakat an obligation and the third pillar of Islam? We also looked at the warnings against neglecting the payment of zakat. Because when we talk about these virtuous actions, we also want to talk about the warnings. Because we keep a balance between the targhib and the tarheeb, the khawf and the raja, the rewards that encourage and the threats that discourage. We then talked about some of the basics on how zakat is paid and we use the analogy of a pizza and how you prepare it and then divide it. And then we define the important terms that will be used in this module. Terms like zakat, sadaqa, nisab, dinar, dirham, fitr, mithqal, and hawl. And we'll be revisiting these terms over and over again. We also talked about the conditions for the obligation of zakat and that question about whether it's obligatory on prepubescent children for their money to be, uh, for the zakat of their money to be paid. Now, I want to go over briefly the last two issues. When we talked about salat, we mentioned the shurut al-wujub, the conditions by which Prayer is obligatory. And we said that the conditions of prayer being an obligation are three. We said Islam, Bulugh, and Aql. So the person has to be a Muslim. They have to have reached the age of maturity, meaning the age of puberty and beyond. And they have to have intellect, meaning they have to be sane. However, the conditions for the obligation of zakat are different because it has to do with not just the person who's paying it, but also the money that they have and what kind of money it is and how long it's with them. So among the conditions of the obligation of zakat, we mentioned that one's wealth has to reach or surpass the nisab. The nisab is that, that minimum level, that minimum threshold, which we haven't actually defined yet in terms of dollars or gold or silver. We're going to define that tonight, inshallah. But the wealth has to reach or surpass that minimum threshold. That's the first condition. If you don't have that much money going to that nisab level, you don't pay zakat. It's not obligatory. The second condition is that you have to be the owner of the wealth, obviously. If it's not your wealth, you don't pay zakat on it. If you're holding money for someone else, it's not your money. So zakat for that money is due upon them, not upon you. And the third condition is the passing of the hawl. What is the hawl? One year? What kind of year? Lunar year, exactly. This is important to remember because it doesn't just mean a year in the conventional sense that we're used to here, which is the Gregorian year. If you go by the Gregorian year, you're actually going to be 11 or so days 
late in paying your zakat. So it's the lunar year, that's when it becomes an obligation. The other condition, number four, is the absence of short-term debt. And this pertains to the zakat of money. So a short-term debt is defined as a debt that is owed in full within one year. So a person lo loans you $6,000 and they want you to pay it in installments between now and next August or September. So that's even less than a year. And you're paying those installments. That's a short-term debt. So if you have that kind of short-term debt, you're going to pay that completely off before you're paying zakat. But if you have a long-term debt, like a mortgage, you're only deducting for that month, that current payment that is due. You're not deducting that from your total zakat uh, money. And then we're going to revisit that when we look at some practical examples of figuring out the different sources of income, our, our debts, our long-term debts that we deduct and all of these things. When we get to a more practical exercise, looking at a typical zakat chart that one can draw up. The last issue we talked about last week is regarding uh, the zakat of money that is, in, uh, that is considered the wealth of a child. So someone, let's say the child has received lots of nice Eid gifts in the form of big money and they're just holding on to it over the years and it's in the thousands of dollars. Do they have to pay zakat on that? Not in the Hanafi school, but in the Shafi school, the Madiki school and others, you have to pay zakat on it. And this is a debate between the madhahib and it depends on the way you look at the issue. The majority say that you do, that child, their parents or their caretakers do pay zakat on that wealth on their behalf because it is still the right of the poor. The Hanafis say it's an act of worship and that act of worship requires a niyyah and a child below the age of puberty uh, doesn't have taklif for those kinds of things. So at any rate, this, we're not preferring one view over the other. I would simply say that if you're looking to do what you feel is safest, you can take the position of the majority and take that small percentage out each year from the child's money. Because once they reach puberty, they're going to learn how to do that anyway. And they have to be shown how to do that and to keep a tally of what income is coming in and how to calculate. So today, inshallah, in the time that remains, we're going to learn a pretty simple lesson. And we're going to build from this. And the more complex issues we'll be investigating next week. We're going to learn how to calculate and pay zakat on gold, on silver, and on currencies. And we mention gold and silver because that's the asl, that's the, the basis on which we're calculating all of these, uh, the nisab for everything, including the currency. So we have to learn about that to understand how we even pay zakat on currency. Because the currency, whether it's dollars or rupees or whatever, the nisab of that is pegged to either gold or silver. So we need to figure that out. So before we venture into this, I want to issue a disclaimer. And I mentioned this disclaimer last week, but I want to flesh it out fully. And I want you to really understand this because this is really important. We endeavor to cover the fard'ayn aspects of paying zakat in this class with very few digressions uh, or with few digressions into the, the more common modern issues. Not so many digressions into complex issues because we have multiple stores of value. There's multiple ways people save and invest. There's multiple uh, means by which people uh, have their money tied up. Uh, and there's modern financial instruments. It's not really within the scope of this class to cover every conceivable scenario or means of payment. That doesn't mean we're not going to explore how we figure out zakat on stocks, or EFTs, or IRAs, or 401ks. We'll explore those. But I'm saying this to 
clarify that everyone's situation is different and there are layers of complexity depending on how much money a person has held up in different things. So if it gets really complicated, that person should ideally sit with a scholar to go over their particulars and help them figure out how they should calculate what they should pay on zakat, what uh, they do not pay, and so on and so forth. So we want to learn the foundations that can help anyone navigate this while giving them the resources for figuring out how to, cal how to uh, figure out the more complex issues. And lastly, the zakatable wealth we know is monetary wealth as well as crops and livestock. So like I said in the beginning, we're not going to cover zakat on crops or livestock. If you have any cows or if you have lots of uh, crops, okay, well, it's obligatory on you to figure out how to pay zakat on that. If you don't have that and you own a business and you have um, items that you store at your warehouse that have value that you sell, merchandise, that is zakatable. We'll be figuring that out next week, inshallah. So with that disclaimer out of the way, let's look at how we calculate zakat. We said that zakat is done on gold and silver and currencies, and that currencies are pegged to, the, to gold and silver. There's a difference of opinion about that. But let's look at gold first. The nisab, that minimum threshold, is 20 sharia dinars. Now this is why we used the term dinar last week as a, as a vocab term in zakat. One dinar equals 4.235 grams of gold. If you take 4.235 grams times 20, you come to 87.4 grams. So 87.4 grams of gold is the nisab. If you have 85, 84, 83 grams of gold, you're not quite at the nisab. You don't pay zakat on it. But if you have gold that weighs 87.4 grams or more, you've reached the nisab and you have to pay zakat on that 2.5%. So this is going to fluctuate from not just year to year, but month to month, depending on your hawl, how long you've had it, the price of gold that you're calculating is at the time of the hawl, once the year has elapsed. So, left. so if you look at, let's say you're paying zakat, you've ha had the gold for over, for a year, a lunar year. If you have this much gold or more, you're paying 2.5% of the total value of the day of the day you're paying it so let's say um, as of October the 4th I did the numbers as of October the 4th earlier this week 2022 the US dollar value of 87.4 grams of gold was four thousand six hundred and forty three dollars and eighty four and something cent or you could say, you could round it up and say $4,644. So if you have that much gold uh, in weight, then you're going to pay 2.5% of the total value in zakat. So let's look at the example of a person named Khadid. Khadid has 150 grams of gold. And he's had it for one lunar year. He knows he has to pay zakat on this. So what is he going to do? Well, he already knows it's 150 grams of gold. If he just has a bag of gold and he's not sure how much it weighs, he needs to go weigh it. If he finds, yes, this is 150 grams of gold and I've had this for a year, a lunar year, he wants to determine now what is the value of this much gold right now. He goes and finds out that the value of 150 grams of gold is, uh, I forgot, I didn't put the total number here, but he's going to pay zakat on that 150 grams. He will owe $205, uh, which is, or you can round it up to $206. So it's a simple process if you just have a simple amount of gold. 
what gets complicated is if you have gold and if you have silver and what, let's say you have 80 grams of gold or let's say you have 50 grams of gold but then you have 150 grams of silver right you, so you can mix up the currencies mix up the gold and silver but this is a simple way just for gold so we'll start with gold then go to silver and then look at currencies and that's where we really want to focus because unless you're uh, walking around with bags of gold it's not something you really have to deal with right and we have to revisit the question about whether zakat is owed on jewelry gold jewelry for women okay so let's go back to that slide the nisab of gold is 20 sharia dinars and one dinar is 4.235 grams to simplify all this just know that it's 87.4 grams of gold if you have that much gold or more in your possession for over a lunar year you owe zakat on it and you're going to figure out how much the total value of it is and take 2.5 percent of that value so you're going to crunch some numbers going now to silver it's pretty much the same thing it's just a different set of numbers the nisab of silver is 200 sharia dirhams dinar is gold dirham is silver so 200 sharia dirhams when we say sharia dirham or sharia dinar what do we mean by that what we mean is that is the weight of the dinar or the dirham in the time of the prophet sallallahu so that is the established weight we're not talking about the dinar and the dirham of any modern day arab country we're talking about the dinar and the dirham according to the sharia standard weight as established in the time of the prophet sallallahu when we convert that weight into grams this is what we get for gold the nisab is as you see 87.4 for 200 sharia dirhams one dirham is 2.9645 grams so that's 2.9645 times 200 and that gives you a total of 592 grams if you have a bag of silver a bunch of silver dollars and it weighs 592.9 grams or more you have reached the nisab for silver and you have to pay zakat on it what are you going to do you want to figure out the value of that at the time zakat is obligatory and you pay 2.5 percent of that total value so as of october 4th when i looked at the value the u.s dollar value for 592.9 grams of silver is 396 dollars and basically 65 cents so you could round it up to 397 dollars there's a significant difference between the monetary value of gold to silver right so if you have this much silver or more you're going to pay 2.5 percent of the total value so let's say that Zaid has one kilogram of silver with him. It's a lot, it's a lot of silver. It's about two, almost two pounds. And he's had it for one lunar year. He's going to find out the U.S. dollar value. Ah, oh, there's a typo. should be silver there. Uh, cutting and pasting. He will find out the U.S. dollar value of his silver at the period of the hawul, not the purchase cost the year before those things change so if he's paying zakat on october 4th 2022 he will owe a whopping 16 dollars and 73 cents so the nisab is 397 dollars 2.5 percent right so numbers fluctuate you got to be careful you just want to figure out what's the total weight of the silver total weight of the gold calculate figure out what the current value is and then just crunch the numbers 2.5 percent of the monet of the u.s dollar value of this by weight pretty simple and you can just go online and find a standard zakat calculator and you have right there on the calculator the place where you can input how many grams of gold you have on you that you've had for over a year put it in if it reaches the nisab it's going to calculate the monetary value that you owe 
of zakat, that 2.5%. If it's under the nisab, then there's nothing. So this is just this basic structure, but in the practical day-to-day -day calculation, just use a zakat calculator. So we talk about zakat on gold and silver really just to lead us to the more common way we're paying our zakat, which is through currency. And that is uh, what we're going to come to. Gold and silver coins of lower quality or mixed with other metals are not treated any differently in zakat, provided they are treated like gold and silver coins on the market. So it doesn't matter if it's a really pure silver dollar or pure gold. The carrot doesn't really matter as long as it's a gold coin that's accepted as a gold coin on the market. That's what matters. Gold and silver are also treated equally. In, in zakat calculations, every dinar equals 10 dirhams. So what that means is if you have, let's say, half the nisab of gold, so you don't have 84 or 87, you have 40-ish, you have half the nisab of gold, it's going to be 10 dinars, and you have half the nisab of silver, which is 100 dirhams, not 200, then those amounts together will reach the full nisab and you'll owe zakat. So you got to be careful. And the zakat calculators online factor this in. You just put in the numbers. The point is, you're not looking at just what you have in gold and just what you have in silver. Oh, it's less than uh, 87 here. It doesn't reach the nisab. And this is less than 200 uh, sharia dirhams here. No, you calculate them and look at the total. Now for gold and silver that's not in the form of sharia dinars and dirhams, you're looking at the weight, not the, the value. So let's suppose for whatever reason you really liked this gold clock. You were in Switzerland maybe where they make these nice clocks and you saw this beautiful gold clock and you paid, I don't know how much a gold clock would cost, but I'm going to assume it's expensive. Maybe you paid $20,000 for it. I don't know why you'd do that, but maybe you did, and you like it a lot. Now, it's a gold clock. Is it pure gold, 100%? No, but there's a lot of gold on it. So you have a gold clock. What are you going to do here? You're going to calculate the zakat based on how many grams of gold is within this clock or built into this clock. You're not calculating it based on the value of the gold clock itself. Uh, let's say, let's maybe simplify it even further. Let's say you're very eclectic and you bought a gold TV remote. And the gold TV remote cost you $5,000. God help you if you spend $5,000 on a gold TV remote. But it's a good example. It's $5,000. So a year goes by. Are you paying zakat on $5,000? No. Because there's the, gold, the cost of the gold, and then there's the cost of manufacturing and shaping this remote. You're going to figure out how much gold is in this gold remote. So let's say it's pure gold and it's not a real remote. You're going to weigh it by gram. If it reaches the nisab, you're going to figure out how much gold that is, what's the value of it right now, you pay zakat on that. You're, the point is you're not paying zakat on the cost of the item. You're paying zakat on the weight of the gold that was used to make the item. Right? That's for gold or, or silver when it's not in the form of the sharia, dinars, and dirhams. And this is mentioned in the books of fiqh. You know, there are certain things that are haram for us to use, uh, such as gold or silver utensils. It's haram for us, men or women, to use gold or silver forks and spoons and knives. Of course, if it's imitation gold or silver, that's fine. I, I saw one in the kitchen uh, this week, and I was thinking about it. It says uh, gold. It says uh, silver, uh, silver spoons. It's like, it can't be silver spoons. It's a whole box. It's fake silver. We're talking about real silver spoons. Can you keep silver spoons? Yes, but only as a store of value not as something you use for your soup. You can't use gold uh, utensils, gold plates, 
you can't use gold cups, anything of the sort. You're not consuming food and drink with these utensils. But can you own these things? You can, if you keep them as stores of value. If they're a store of value, then every year you're going to need to calculate, well, how much do these things weigh in gold or silver, and does it reach the nisab or not? There's a chance if it's all silverware that it may not reach the nisab. If it's gold, it might just reach the nisab. But you've got to calculate that and pay the zakat. Even if it's haram for you to use it, you can use it as a store of value, just not for eating and drinking. There are some exceptions to this. Uh, the issue of, let's say you have a gold tooth or a silver tooth. Do you have to pay zakat on your, on your gold tooth? No. Even if conceivably it was above the nisab and you had a mouthful of gold teeth, if you needed the gold teeth because, you know, you needed the dental implants, okay, well, if it's used as a medical thing to replace teeth, there's no zakat. Zakat is not owed on gold and silver jewelry either, according to the majority of the fuqaha. Zakat is owed on jewelry, gold and silver, if they're not worn as jewelry, but kept only as a store of value. If a person, let's say they have a big treasure chest of gold necklaces and bracelets, they're never going to wear this stuff, and they don't intend to wear this stuff. They're only using it as a store of value. That's, that's something that you have to pay zakat on. But if a woman... In the majority, among the majority of the fuqaha, if a woman has gold jewelry, gold necklace, gold bracelets, gold rings, whatever, or silver, if she wears it, even if it's just time to, from time to time, she keeps it with the intention of wearing it at home, according to the majority of the fuqaha, there's no zakat paid on that either. According to Imam Abu Hanifa, zakat is paid on all gold and silver jewelry, whether it's a store of value or whether it is worn as jewelry. So you come back to that, uh, that dilemma, you know, how strict are you going to be on the issue, right? <laughs> and some people ask about the nature of that jewelry too. The only precious metals on which zakat is owed are gold and silver. There's no, there's no zakat on platinum. There's no zakat on diamonds or rubies or emeralds. So this is where a possible dilemma arises. A woman says, I have jewelry. Uh, well, we're going we're gonna to avoid the Hanafi school for a second here. We're going to look at... Uh, okay, no, we'll go to the Hanafi school. She's Hanafi, alhamdulillah. And she's very strict in following the Hanafi school. She says, I have this precious necklace and it's encrusted with diamonds and rubies. And I have to pay zakat on this jewelry. It's far beyond the nisab. But I don't know how to pay zakat on it because it's got all these rubies and diamonds on it. Like, how do I weigh that and determine? Well, in this case, you need to take it to a specialist who can figure out what is the weight of the gold in that necklace and what is not from the weight of the gold, from the diamonds and the rubies and so on. Take it to a specialist so they can give you an accurate number. Go to a good jeweler for that. And if you're not Hanafi, then you're good to go. Unless, you're, unless you have a treasure chest and you're keeping it just for a store of value. So these are just a few miscellaneous issues. We now come to the crux of the lesson. A person hears about paying zakat on gold and silver, and they say, well, that's pretty interesting, and I see now how that works, but I don't have that kind of gold and silver sitting around. But I have dollars, or I have rupees, or I have whatever in currency. How do I pay zakat on that? So currency is treated as gold. This is important. Currency as, is treated as gold according to the majority. 
the nisab of your currency is the same amount of money that could purchase 84 grams of gold. So basically the nisab of currency is the nisab of gold. So if today the nisab, the value of that nisab is $4,463, well $4,463 US dollars cash will be the, will be the nisab for currency. So if you have less than that, 4,000 only, you haven't reached the nisab, no zakat. If you have more than 4,000, you're beyond the nisab and you have to calculate 2.5% of that is what you pay zakat on. Now, why is gold chosen as the nisab to which we peg the currency? Why not silver? Well, there is a difference of opinion about that. Imam Shafi'i and his school hold that currencies are pegged to silver for the nisab, not gold. But the majority peg the nisab of currency to gold. The reason why is because the nisab as a concept is something that separates the wealthy from the needy. How do you determine who is wealthy from who is needy? The nisab determines that standard. Because a person, you know, being wealthy or poor is a relative matter. A person who is poor here is wealthy in a so-called third world country. And a person who is wealthy in a so-called third world country might barely get by if they have the same amount of money here. So wealth and poverty, these are relative terms. The nisab sets that standard for determining who is uh, wealthy and who is not. Now the Shafri school takes an opposite view. They say that the nisab of currency is pegged to the nisab of silver. That would mean that if you have, let's say, $400 in, you, in your bank account, and it's been, that or more has been in your account for over one lunar year, you pay zakat on that. Obviously, that's going to be a much uh, smaller amount of money you're paying. 2.5% of $400 is not much at all compared to 4500 or whatever for the gold. However, that's the position of Imam Shafi'i and their madhab. Their reasoning is that the currency, the minimum currency should correspond to silver because it will be better for the poor. How will it be better for the poor? Well, more people are paying zakat. The more people paying zakat, even if it's, let's, let's say it's $12, if you have 1 million people each paying $12, how much money is that, right? 12 million. If you have 1 million people and only 200,000 of them have money above the nisab pegged to gold in currency, and this one's paying 500, that one's paying 1,000, this one's paying 250, you, you, you may not get as much money being distributed to the poor as you would if more people were paying zakat uh, pegged to silver, which is a lower amount. So you know, there's arguments on both sides, but the majority peg the nisab of currency to gold. So uh, the nisab for the Shafris would be $397, and for others it would be 4644 at least as of this Monday when I did the calculations based on the value of gold and silver. So it's pegged to the gold according to the majority. Now, there's a few other issues here. You're not obliged to pay zakat on a debt owed to you that the debtor cannot immediately repay if asked. So you loan someone money and if, if, you, can, if you call them up and they say, I, I can't pay it back right now, it'll still take me quite a while, then you're not paying zakat on that money because it's tied up. It's considered bad debt in the sense that you can't actively retrieve it easily. Uh, on the other hand, if it's easily retrievable, that's called good debt and you pay zakat on that. Now let's say you loan someone money and it took them a while to pay you back, maybe it took a couple of years. When you finally receive that money that was owed to you, only one year of zakat is immediately paid on that, even if it was outstanding for many years. So the example I have here in the slide, you sell someone a used car, 
uh, and they owe you $8,000. Maybe it was a $2,000 down payment. They owe you $8,000, and this, was, this contract was signed in 2015. And for whatever reason, they couldn't pay you back. But finally, you got it back in 2022. You're only paying the zakat of one year. So for $8,000, that's about $200. So you're paying that zakat for that year, and then you calculate moving forward from there. If the person paid that debt before one year has passed, then the haul period will begin from the moment of qabd, the moment you take possession of the money. So there's some technicalities here, and it's based on how long it's been with that person, what is easily repayable versus what is not easily repayable, when do you start the calculation, how much do you pay, because it's your money tied up for either a year or more that couldn't easily be retrieved, or they had it for less than a year, so it's less than a hawl. So if, you have it less, if they have it less than a year, less than a hawl, then you're going to start calculating the zakat or the hawl from the moment you get it back. So this is where the zakat complexities come up. Because maybe you have money in your bank account, your checking and your savings, and you have your 401k, and you've loaned money to this one and to that one, and you have this debt and that debt. One is long term, one is short term. Like, these things you have to calculate very carefully and know how much money do I have tied up that I can't really retrieve? How much do I have that I can easily get back? How much do I have on hand right now? Like literally or not so literally under the mattress kind of cash. So you gotta take it account to all of these things. This is why I said in the disclaimer, if you, you know, your specific case may require more investigation to figure out what's going on. So, let's say you loan money to someone and that money exceeds the nisab. So you gave them $5,000. Uh, or the example here is $8,000. The hawl begins on the day on which you originally possessed the money, not when it was returned to you. So you loan someone $8,000 that you had on October 2020. The person paid it back on October 2022. You owe two years of zakat on it, right? So you're owing two years, you're paying one immediately. Like this is where the technicalities arise. So a lot of the zakat calculators will have this information available. You just gotta find the right one and know how to input your data everyone knows their own financial business and they have to figure this out. So this is debts and loans. So the third term here on the slide, fa'ida, I left in Arabic. Because fa'ida is not a debt and it's not a loan and it's not money that you've made from buying and selling. Fa'ida is wealth that you earn without any investment on your part. It comes your way without investment, such as an inheritance. Someone in your family passed away and you received a share of money from their inheritance. Or someone gives you a monetary gift. Or a, a woman gets married and she receives the mahar. Or someone receives a, a large amount of sadaqah. Or someone has an accident and they get some legal compensation for the accident and they come into a large sum of money. So these are called fa'ida because it's money that they obtained without investment, without trade. For fa'ida kind of wealth, the zakat is not owed until they come into possession of it and a full hawl has passed. So if the inheritance is only received in October of 2020, the hawl will not be until one lunar year has passed from the date they receive it in their bank account or in their hand or whatever. The same for the gifts, same for the dowry, and so on. Uh, why is this important? Because even if it says the dowry is uh, X amount of money, and that's in the agreement between the soon-to-be husband and wife, she is not uh, counting the hawl until she gets it. Is when she gets it and has full possession of it 
that she counts the hawl. So she's not paying zakat on a dowry that hasn't been fully paid or that hasn't come into her hands yet. So this is something else to keep in mind. And you're, you will probably see this in the zakat calculators as well, where you can enter in gifts and uh, inheritance and things like that and how long you've had them. Now you see here, and this is the second to the last slide, we have zakat on assets, liquid and illiquid assets. Notice that there are 13 things in this list. The first six are in bold and the rest are not. Cash on hand, meaning it's under the mattress, it's in a safe, it's in your wallet, it's in your piggy bank, in your closet. All of that money has to be calculated when you pay your zakat. You have to make sure because practically speaking, like you know if you owe zakat. Let's say you know based on what's in your checkings account. Well, you, audit, you know that you have money in your checkings account that's above the nisab. So that means that you're not just paying zakat on what's in the checking account. You're paying zakat on everything you have. So you need to look. Go and look into the money in your wallet. Go into that piggy bank. You got to count that to the penny. The money here, the money there that you have easy access to in your house. Then you have the checking account. You, you calculate that. Also the savings account and other cash, meaning the good debt, the debt that you could easily get back. So let's, let's say a person uh, borrowed $500 from you two weeks ago and now you're calculating your zakat and you know they're good for it and they said they'll pay you back quickly. It was just a quick emergency. Well, you know, if you call them on the phone and say, hey, can I get that 500? They'll come right over and give it to you. You add that when you calculate zakat because it's good debt. This is not a bad debt where the person is under hard times and they can't pay it back to you uh, when you ask for it. So you calculate that too. And lastly, you calculate the gold and the silver if you have any. And once you calculate all that, you then figure out the 2.5% of that total. And that is the money that you are going to pay in zakat for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's items one through six. It gets a little more complicated when we look at items seven through 13. Because just as you have to calculate zakat for your cash, you, what's in your checkings account, your savings account, other cash, good debt, gold, silver, and so on, you also have to calculate for any cryptocurrencies, you may own shares or stocks, whether individual, mutual funds, ETFs, index funds, you name it. And there's various ways we can calculate those. You have to figure out retirement accounts. Do you pay zakat on a 401k or not? We'll explore that, inshallah. The IRA, IRA pension funds, etc. You also have to calculate business inventory if you run a business. Your current inventory as well as any inventory that's obsolete or dead, meaning it's just, it's not going to sell, right? There's different ways of calculating this. You also calculate for real estate and rental properties because you're not paying zakat on your own house because you live in it. But if you have other houses that you're renting out, then those are means of generating income. So you do pay zakat on that. You have to also calculate the value of certain collectibles and antiques and investments in privately held companies. So from item 7 to 13, that's where it gets a little complicated. Not because zakat itself is complicated, but because these are modern financial instruments and means of investment. And we have varying levels of access or inaccess to them. And for some of them, there's penalties for accessing them early. And we have to figure all of that out to determine, do we even pay zakat on these? And if so, how do we calculate them? That is uh, where the complications arise.
And this is what we will be exploring next week, inshallah. So we'll look just at those issues. So next week, we look at zakat on these other forms of liquid and illiquid assets, meaning the modern financial instruments and zakat. And then we try to put it all together and make the necessary deductions at the time of the hawl. So I don't want to get too technical in those things. I just want to give you some pointers so that if you do have your money tied up into those things, you have some means of figuring it out. But at the end of all of that, I want to give a sample chart where kind of like looking at a calculator in real time, how you would calculate these things and input the information so you can determine what you're paying and what you're not. And that's next class, inshallah. And after that comes the fourth and final class where we just look at the recipients and we tie up any loose ends and address any other issues that may arise. Finishing this module in a record four sessions, inshallah. Wallahu rasuluhu a'lamu sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And back to the disclaimer. <laughs> this it's really the disclaimer applies to items 7 through 13 because that's where people get tripped up uh, for the other things it's also possible if a person has neglected to pay their zakat for many years and they're trying to figure out how to do pay back zakat and current zakat that's when things get complicated and for those situations I highly advise anyone in that situation to consult with a specialist, uh, a scholar who can help guide them through that, inshallah. Khair. Any questions? Yes. Yes. Well, we're going to cover uh, the, when we talk about the recipients, we're also going to address the issue of the means of paying them. Because this is a very uh, well-known issue in fiqh. Do you, are you limited to pay your zakat to the people in your locality or can you pay elsewhere? And we'll talk about the means of paying that. And we're also going to talk about um, how you figure out what to do with any haram income that may have accrued either from interest inadvertently or purposefully uh, or any haram income any earnings that may have come into one's life how you deduct that because you cannot pay zakat on that you do not add that amount when you're totaling up the amount that you pay because in Allah tayyib wa la yaqbalu illa tayyiba Allah is pure and only accepts what is pure so yeah, we'll touch and talk about that next week, inshallah. Any questions before we go for salah? Yes? Okay. Uh, if someone pays the cat but doesn't name it the cat, like, you know, pay as a donation without uh, specifying that this is the cat, uh, this would not be... If they pay with the niyyah of zakat, that's all that's required. In fact, the fuqaha say, when you give the zakat to a recipient of zakat, you don't even have to tell them that it's zakat. You can just say, this is bismillah, fi sabilillah. You know, you don't have to mention to them that it's zakat because that may be a means of their own embarrassment because they feel, oh, you know, I'm receiving zakat, I'm in hard times. So you can just be very general and give it to them because as long as you know that it's your zakat money, and you have the intention of paying that zakat, that's all that's required. Yeah. Would you, be, would you be also telling us the seven categories of the people that... That's next week. Or no, the fourth, the fourth session. The fourth session, we talk about the recipients, the eight mentioned in, in Surah Tawbah. And we'll look at those who cannot receive, the impediments to receiving and some of the contemporary controversies surrounding who can receive and who cannot receive. Can we give zakat for da'wah projects, for example, or Islamic education? And we'll talk about some of those things too. And
There's no, there's no zakat on property as such. Let's say you own 200 acres and you just like to walk in the woods and look at it. You're not generating any income from that. So although it does have inherent value because you could sell it, you're not paying zakat on that. But if you buy it and you develop it with the intention of it being a store of value that you're going to sell, then there's a way you're going to calculate this. And we're going to talk about real estate between properties and rentals and home sales and all of that next week, inshallah, the, the actual technicalities. It all goes back to calculating currencies. But yeah, if we distinguish between something that's an asset that you keep for personal use, like a car. Okay, let's say this is a good example. Uh, a 1965 Mustang. I don't know how much it's worth. Yeah, I'm going to say it's a lot of money. I agree. If you, let's say you have a 1965 Mustang because you like it and you like the way it drives and you drive back and forth to work with it. It's just your car. Do you pay zakat on it? No. It's just for your personal use. But let's say you have your Honda Accord or whatever car, your regular car for work. And you have in your garage, nicely polished, this nice 1965 Mustang. And it's a collectible and you're keeping it as a store of value as a collectible. Do you pay zakat on that? Yes. yes. So we're making a distinction between an item that you have for personal use and an item that's a store of value. So a piece of property that you use just because, hey, you like it. You like to walk around in the woods. Maybe you like to hunt. No zakat on that as such. But once you have that land and it's being used as a store of value, you're going to develop it, you're going to sell that. That's when you have to factor in zakat. And it depends on your intention. It on the intention, right? On the surface, you know, person A has a 65 Mustang and person B has the same thing. One pays zakat and one doesn't. It all depends on their intention behind the ownership of that Mustang. For one, it's personal use. The other is a collectible. Yeah. So we'll talk about that, inshallah.